I love the process of working with the experts to curate their presentation to be appropriate to middle school of visually impaired children of various ages. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. Uh, we have a super exciting conversation about a really innovative and creative program um, that links students with professionals in a variety of different spaces. We're going to be talking about a program called Mentorship. And joining me today is Rania Ajami. Rania is an award-winning filmmaker and founder of successful, innovative businesses and family entertainment. And through that journey has created a number of programs that have um, a lot of acclaim and award-winning and great opportunities for students and families. So Rania, uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and joining Rania is Angelica, who interestingly enough is an attorney and legal counsel. And part of the fascinating piece of the story is to try to understand sort of how and where she fits into this mentorship program. So Angelica, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having us today. So I want to start just providing a little bit of context for our listeners about this notion of mentorship. And I do also want to stress to everybody who's listening, this is two words, make no mistakes. So these are two capitalized words, mentor and ship, which is an interactive learning platform that connects children with experts from around the world. So think of this as master class for kids, but instead of celebrities, they bring together change makers, thought leaders, and experts in the areas of survival skills to climate change, space, artificial intelligence intelligence, archaeology, which I love, of course, to health and well-being, arts, and so much more. And so, ladies, this is an intriguing idea that I suspect right now has a very broad application. So, Rania, why don't you tell us a little bit about how mentorship came to be? So, before uh, mentorship, I was working on uh, an interactive immersive experience called Pips Island. And that really came about with sort of looking at a lot of kids in cities primarily and seeing how they're overscheduled, how they're always on their iPads, on devices. And that really came about with this sort of need to take kids and allow them to be explorers, to be the heroes of their own journeys. And I spent seven years building a very new entertainment experience where we we blended multisensorial sets, gaming, actors, animation, mythology. And we opened in Times Square 2019. It was a big hit. We had a 15,000 square foot space and really took kids on these heroes journeys mm -hmm. where they would go and rescue an island. And unfortunately, as you can guess, because of COVID, we had to shut down that space. And, th and that was a very difficult moment, but it also mm -hmm. gave us an opportunity to pivot. Mm -hmm. And we, both Angelica and I also have two young kids and we started noticing and participating with the whole Zoom school. And we thought, well, what if we could take what we learned with Pips Island, which were these expeditions and these journeys mm -hmm. and apply it to 
journeys of learning, journeys for knowledge, and bringing the world to kids into their homes, into the classroom, and allowing them to to experience a different kind of knowledge versus a knowledge that they just get that's very regimented at school or BI curriculum. Mm-hmm. So really, it was a very natural follow-on from Pips Island to taking that, this idea of an, a, a global explorers club, which mm-hmm. we used in Pips Island, to an actual global explorers club for, for students of today. I love, I love everything about this. And I, I love the pivot and the fact that you were able to grab what you saw students respond so well to from Pippa Island and say, okay, we can do more with this. You know, we're super creative women here. There's just no question about that. And so that, you know, as, as you sort of think about and make that pivot to be able to take advantage, quite frankly, of a time that was really, really difficult for learners and for families collectively. So Angelica, help me understand. So where's, where's your connection? in this space. So it's obvious that the two of you have known each other for some time. I assume long collaborations, but sort of help us understand sort of the work that you've brought into this. Yeah, absolutely. It just so happens that at the beginning of the pandemic, I was serving at our school's Parents Association Executive Board. So I felt like we were really in the nuts and bolts of how the school Mm -hmm. was at a time of difficulty. But first and foremost, we were parents. And so we were sitting at a table, you know, with our kids navigating the beginning of e-learning. And it was really, really clear at that moment that this was an opportunity for some change that perhaps had been necessary for a long period Mm -hmm. of time also bring some innovation into the classroom that that the schools had been looking for, had been trying to figure out how to do in a way. And now necessity meant that they had to embrace the technology that was going to make some of these opportunities possible. And so we jumped on it. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so the let's go back to the connection piece, though, because I just do want, do want to connect the dots for our, our listeners, right? So mm-hmm. were you previously involved with the PIP Island work then? Is that sort of where some of those sort of inter, intersections sort of came from? No, I joined I joined Rania later on after okay. Island was ready to close. And really, we were navigating a time with our students together as professionals, Mm -hmm. as parents, as now in-home co-teachers and seeing where things could be made better. Um, And learning from the experiences that Ronnie had had at her previous work in Pips Island and, you know, learning from my time working within the nuts and bolts of Mm -hmm. the bureaucracy illustration that is a K through 12 school. Yeah. Which is super, super complex. And that's a conversation that we've had numerous times and many iterations um, on this program. So we'll definitely sort of dig into a little bit of that as you launch mentorship, because I'd be really curious about how how your particular school and school district sort of managed thinking about some of these things. Because one of the things that we've noticed through the pandemic, in, in addition to the, the generalized fatigue that's happened across the entire ecosystem, and that's everything from families, children, and the instructors, the teachers, the school folks collectively, is that there's also sometimes been a deep hesitance to grab a hold of innovation outside of just we're going to use technology to do what we've always done. So we'll circle back around on that because I think there's probably an intriguing piece of that conversation that took place. So Rania, share with us then a little bit about what exactly does the mentorship project do? Walk us through how it works. Absolutely. So at its most fundamental level, it's really about connecting children with experts across 
many, many different fields. So when we first began, it was sort of that chicken egg situation, Mm -hmm. which is we don't have the experts yet or how many experts do you need before you have the students? Mm -hmm. And we really spent a long time looking at variety of very interesting people, scientists, uh, archaeologists working the field, professors, etc. And the idea with mentorship is that we found that schools, they have a lot of subjects that they need to, to carry out, but they don't, the teachers are just, it's not viable for them to be, to sort of specialize in it. So what we started doing is bringing the experts that we were sort of collecting and talking to and curating and presenting them to different schools and saying, look, we know you're studying ancient Egypt. We know that climate mm-hmm. change is a big subject for you. Why don't you bring in this person or that person? And, and that's really how it started to kind of evolve. At the same time, as a filmmaker, I was really interested in documenting the different experts. So creating almost portrait pieces or expert mm-hmm. documentaries where you could really learn how someone actually became a, an equine vet. Mm-hmm. What, what 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 the steps and what's a day like with her? So spending time uh, with that expert and having these expert led content pieces and journeys was also very useful and, and something we would share with schools to say, look, this is a, some a bit of background about the expert before they engage with your students. But I think really the way we see this, um, the big vision is that we're partnering with schools. It's not a supplement. It's not an addendum. It's a partnership in today's society where the reality is schools are not enough for the next generation. School's great, but there needs to be another form of access to knowledge and, and, and development and skills. And we are bringing that other very important mm-hmm. silo of knowledge. Yeah, we see that all the time as well, right? That, and the reality is, you know, the current learners, so, so our, our students, they don't learn or want to get content or knowledge in the way that we did, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. The, the, the everything about who we are has changed so much that the way we have to get access to and can get access to that's the other piece of it right you know we we, we all have a, a computer in our pocket these days right and because of that the way we think about the acquisition of knowledge really should uh change it's one of the things i really love about this Go ahead. One, yeah. one thing too that came about is there's so many jobs now that children are just not aware of other than your box standard, you know, doctor, lawyer, etc. Mm-hmm. For example, my daughter had said to me, and it was one of the ideas that sparked mentorship. She said, I love space so much, but I don't want to be an astronaut. So what can I do mm-hmm. to to work in space? And, and there's so many different yeah. things to that question. So that's also something that mentorship is addressing. And I think that's fabulous because that is so true. And we talk about that all the time at PAST as it relates to the different kinds of programming that we do. One of the intent purposes um, for that is we want to actually show kids all the different variety of things that are in fact possible because they don't have a clue. And we see all the time when a, a student will start a program, especially the younger kiddos, when you ask them, you know, about this thing. And so maybe they're going to show up, you know, to a camp that's about space. You know, what, what, what you know, what is it that you think the jobs in that are? And they'll give you three or four, right? And by the time they finish the program, Program, however long that happens to be, not only can they rattle off a whole host of potential career opportunities, they've honed in on the thing that they're most interested in at a very specific level, right? You know, no, 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 no. You know, I want to be an engineer that works specifically on the guidance system. 
Well, that's remarkable to go from, oh, I, I want to work in space to I want to be this very, very specific thing. That's huge, huge win, I think, as it relates to, to recognizing students' knowledge. And, and Helica, I want to ask you about the, the piece about going from the school and the pandemic and crisis and, you know, a lot of the shifting that has to happen. And then how do you sort of level set, if you will, or, or prep a school, a community, if you will, to be ready to grab a halt of the opportunities or the content innovations that are coming from something like mentorship and actually embedding it into the day-to-day -day work with the lift of everything else that's going on in the midst of all this. How, how do you navigate that conversation internally to make it possible for this kind of innovative programming, not only to come, but hopefully to become the norm? You know, that, that's a great question. It's a complicated question because as you probably know much better than we do, academia is super slow to change mm -hmm. and super slow to adapt new processes and new ways of, of, of teaching and, and new ways of bringing things into the classroom. The One of the silver linings of the last two years has been that schools have been forced to take a leap when mm -hmm. it comes to embracing certain things that they weren't ready to do before. And I do think the conversation begins with what Rania touched on earlier, mm -hmm. which is this is a partnership. We put too much on teachers. Mm -hmm. It is impossible for them to do everything they were doing before and expect it to expand into all of these other new areas and keep pace with the pace of change that we right. see in our, in our world. And, and so I, I think that emphasizing to schools that you're not making this something that they have to keep up with on their own, that this has to be a partnership with people in industries, people in uh, different professions, different expertise. You cannot possibly imagine that teachers can take this on on their own right. or administrators. Mm -hmm. And so the critical thing is that you're not alone. It's a partnership and we will help you curate the people that are in these different fields and have them bring, come to you and have a partnership with you and with the teacher and with the classroom. And, and, and so that you can bring in these new areas of study, maybe go beyond what the curriculum has traditionally been able to offer and, and really respond to what students are asking for and needing now. You don't have to wait for the schools to catch up. Right. You can partner with an, insti you know, an institution like mentorship and bring in those change makers and those experts from, from outside. And I think when a school gives it a try and takes that first leap, we find that they come back again and again because it's just so much simpler than asking them to do all the work themselves, which is just really not a fair ask. Mm -hmm. Engaging for the kids, right? Because I assume, and we'll we'll get into this a little bit, so I'm going to key up my next question here is, so is it fully interactive? Is it all just pre-recorded? Is there live inter, you know, components to it? So, so Ronya, help us understand a school has made this decision, you know, gone through a conversation like Angelica just, you know, sort of laid out for us and said, okay, we're going to take on mentorship. So then as a teacher or as a school, what, what can I expect? It's all live. So either you will opt for, we prefer virtual mm -hmm. interactions or so Zoom. We're actually looking right now at VR and, uh, mm -hmm. as well as but yes, we want a Zoom engagement. We have, so I'll give you an example of a particular school. They had a symposium on civic responsibility. So we brought them a wonderful climate activist, Ricardo Galvao, very prominent. He zoomed in from Brazil. 
And at the same time, we also brought uh, a New York-based who writes about overcoming bias through storytelling. And they did interactive Zooms where they would ask questions, the children would respond. Then on the other option, we have schools that say, no, we don't want anything virtual. We want in-person mm-hmm. engagement. So we've worked with artists and not just artists, really experts from all different fields who come into the school and they either do one-off workshops or they'll do a semester-long engagement based around a project. We've even organized field trips. So we had one school with children with visually impaired went and actually spent the day with our equine vet and learned what it's like to to look after horses and what that the skills there so it's it's as interactive as we can make it so yes it's more uh, a resource that is a supplement to the actual live interactions mm-hmm. and is this available broadly is this global is it just in new york where where, where you are based um, what, what's the access opportunity here for either one of you Did you want- for in-person expert you know Mm -hmm. near the school but we're definitely working with schools not just in new york but throughout the united states as well as in the uk and that's sort of the beauty of where we can use the technology to Mm -hmm. real areas of study because the experts do not have to be based where your school is located in order for you to have a virtual experience with this particular expert Mm -hmm. and you know the schools are all very unique individual communities so we're looking for is very different from another mm-hmm. and that's where we're really able to curate an individual experience based on what a particular school is looking for and if that means an in-person semester-long workshop or if that means a you know virtual symposium that's what we make happen Mm-hmm. I think it's wonderful that you have so much flexibility that you can find experts willing to play in that space. And one of the things that I think is really interesting is, you know, oftentimes I think both experts, industry folks, academics, take your pick. Um, and, and traditional K-12, we have this, this sort of old school sense, right? That when we're talking about those types of experiences, it's just a touch more than show and tell, right? Or career day. And what you're offering is to say, well, that's fine and great. The, that, that, that moment of exposures, it's, it's fine for kids, but we could do so much more, which is exactly what you're doing. And that so much more provides an opportunity for engagement, which I love. But... Having said that, and having been in this space myself for so long, sometimes as that expert and sometimes facilitating a whole variety of programming opportunities, one of the things that I know is that, you know, not everybody who is an amazing researcher, expert, artist, you know, provider of whatever that particular expertise or content is, are great with kids or great with interacting. So so I want to know, how do you help the professional side be successful because if they're not successful that inter- that engagement is a miss so what's yes. your process in that space well that's why we call it curating yeah who we bring on board and you we interview we discuss how that person presents we look at the subject we look at the um, their sort of willingness. I mean, you have mm-hmm. you have some experts that they're just not interested, yeah. and yeah. They, so we it's, it doesn't work. But it's we really handpick incredible people who can yes, who can learn to or are open to presenting to children, and just because of 
our backgrounds, both at working with schools like Angelica mm-hmm. and also with Pips Island, we've spent a lot of time figuring out how do you keep kids interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. With Pips Island, we had to keep them interested for one hour without them being distracted. So we apply a lot of those, mm-hmm. those sort of discoveries when we work with our different experts. And yeah. you'd actually be surprised. You'd be surprised how many university professors that think, oh no, I'm not really good with kids. They surprise themselves. They're actually mm-hmm. wonderful. And the other way around too, a lot of children, they're so bright and they're mm-hmm. so sharp that they actually get a lot of maybe university level type, mm-hmm. type of subjects. So we don't like to also dumb it down for right. our students. Yeah, I love that. And I would agree with you. I think, I think that people collectively underestimate children all the time, right? You know, I tell people that that frequently, oh, no, 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 your kids can do this. You know, give them a really big, hairy, audacious problem and let them gnaw on it because they're going to be super creative because children don't come to problem solving with the same constraints that adults have. They haven't gone through life. They haven't gone through, you know, their educational journey to understand why the physics of what they're contemplating is not even possible. But that's okay because there's a nugget and what they were thinking about and the way being creative to try to solve something that is in fact possible or might be that next great innovation that the experts didn't even weren't even thinking about or going down that road because their creative process quite frankly is one that has been trained as opposed to being one that's organic which is one of the reasons I also love that you've brought the arts in so much because we we know that we really get a lot more of that sort of organic experience from a lot of those folks. Just a specific example, I'm actually married to an academic. My husband's a professor and he is working on the origins of man. And we were actually in discussion with a school where they're teaching middle grade students the origins of language, the origin Mm -hmm. of myth. And he's been asked to go in where he's working full on on this book in his own somewhat bubble. Mm -hmm. And now he's going to go and sort of explain his research and thinking to nine-year-olds and 10-year-olds. So it's just a sort of example of how we're bridging that content. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And and I would hope, you know, my other hope in this, and I've, I've seen this frequently as well, is that, you know, oftentimes when I have the opportunity to interview college students in particular, and one of the things, and, you know, as a university professor myself, and I, I, I chuckle when I hear this because I can relate to it. I remember being a student and thinking, oh my gosh, you know, some of these university professors, they're terrible, right? They're, they're, they've got awesome content knowledge, but they are the worst teachers I have ever had. And, and, you know, it's really interesting because one of the things that I've seen when we spend time, and I love the fact that this project is, is, is curated because I think that for some of the experts, the journey of participating actually helps them be better at sharing what they do, the science, the research, the, whatever that area of expertise is with a general public. So it becomes digestible. And I think it makes them as an individual and as an expert more relatable at at the end of the day. Have you experienced that as well with some of these experts? You know, I was going to mention, I think that's a wonderful point. And I think that it does really impact the experts, the mentors Mm -hmm. themselves. We do Mm -hmm. have opportunity to work frequently with a school that caters to students with special needs, Mm -hmm. diversity of special needs, but primarily visually impaired students. Mm -hmm. Their school is particularly open-minded to bringing in all sorts of experts. And I love the process of working with the experts to curate their presentation to be appropriate to 
you know, middle school of visually impaired children of various ages. And that process with them of seeing how you make that discussion, that workshop relatable to this group of learners, a different group of learners is enriching on both ends and really helps the expert to see their work from a completely different Mm -hmm. perspective. I just absolutely love that aspect of what you're doing. I think that is fabulous and it's so desperately needed and I think beneficial to everybody who's participating in the process. I am super curious though about the 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 curation process itself, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. So, you know, as an expert then, what 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 are the steps in that journey? Because it doesn't sound like, hey, I'm going to call you up on Tuesday and on Thursday you're going to do this thing. It, it sounds to me like it's it's much more involved than that to get to the point where you do then in fact have this high quality curated content. So, what what's the sort of the timing from initial idea to now we're ready to roll and sort of those steps of that process? Well, it really varies because surprisingly, a lot of experts actually have material mm-hmm. that's ready to go for a more, you know, more not specialized audience. So with those experts, it's much easier. They have the content and it's more about, well, how are you going to present? How can you make it more interactive? With others, it's really us sort of guiding and steering, almost directing mm-hmm. their their content. So, you know, discussions, we had a discussion with a theater director, who a, a woman who specializes with Greek tragedy. And at the beginning, she was hesitant to do any kind of presentation. But by work, working with her, we were like, well, why didn't you treat students like actors? And make this as if you're actually directing a segment of uh, a Greek tragedy Mm -hmm. specifically. Mm -hmm. And so through that, she said, oh, okay, that's something I can do naturally. And I'll, I can get them to do voice work and body work and think of themes. So it's really a case by case basis. Some are more ready to go than others, whereas others is just spending a few sessions. They'll come back to us with their presentation. We give them notes. They practice with us. We give them more notes. So it really varies. That's really, really an interesting process. And one that I would imagine from a sort of scheduling of time, energy, and effort, since there's so much variability, could be super complex and at the same time, super interesting because every experience that you have in terms of crafting this is going to be different as well. So I, I think that's really actually kind of interesting. So I'm I'm curious about the flip side of all of this then. So, you know, what what is what is the expectation or the experience of the teachers? So I guess, you know, um, Angelica, I'm, you know, I'm really wondering about it is there is there prep for the teachers is this content going to come in is there professional development that goes on in terms of how best to use this are there sort of after activities or ancillaries you know if i want to go further in all of this so from the sort of teaching perspective what what is that experience like so again it tends to be very individual based on what the school is requesting and what Mm -hmm. the teacher for sometimes it is very much an involved partnership with Mm -hmm. the and a particular expert to plan an entire art course for this group of students over the course of this week. This is what we're doing, a project, and they're back and forth and meetings with the teacher and, and the particular mentor in order to create this course for the, this group of students. So sometimes it is very, very much involved. And sometimes teachers uh, are looking for us to find somebody to help them grow their curriculum. Mm-hmm. A lot of schools are looking to expand the traditional curriculum beyond, in the case of history, a Eurocentric focus. Right. And 
So they want to be able to do that. Can you find someone that is an expert on the Qin and Han dynasties so that we can add this unit and work with them Mm -hmm. uh, or that our sixth grade curriculum goes beyond what it did last year? So very individual with the teacher, if they Mm -hmm. want that level of interaction with the expert, they can have Or if they just want someone to come in and speak where they cannot on a particular expertise or expose students to the possibility of a different kind of, we can do that too. So often you find it somewhere in between, but it is often an opportunity for the teachers to learn from the expert of where they can go in a particular Mm -hmm. area. Yeah, absolutely. And I, uh, that's been my experience as well. You, you sort of get a wide range of asks and needs because some teacher is going to be super comfortable grabbing this and, oh my gosh, I can do so much with this. And others are like, oh, okay, wait, what? That's not my pacing guide. How do I, you know, and so, and everything in between. So that, that makes sense to me. So, you know, I do want to, as we sort of think about, you know, wrapping up the conversation here, you know, a couple of, of questions that I know that the, our listeners are uh, thinking about. And one of them is how on earth is this thing funded? How, how does this work in terms of a school getting access to it? And because there's a lot of work on the front end, you know, curating this content, that's a tremendous amount of time, effort, and energy, and depending on sort of what the production side of it is. So, so how does all of that work? How, how have you been able to, to do this? Is this a for-profit company that is then, you know, a fee for service for content back to schools or how, how does all of that work? So for now, a lot of sweat equity. Yeah. <laughs> um, Passion is, projects are always like that, right? Yeah, it is a for-profit company. And something we do discuss a lot as a team is how do we scale this? It's all mm-hmm. great now. We're, we're learning. It's mm-hmm. a holistic growth. We're, we're discovering what schools want. But with time, we do want to have a platform that we're not maybe so hands-on, but scalable, where you can... As a school, not have to go through Angelica, me, and our other two Mm -hmm. uh, colleagues, but oh, I can go to the website, I can book, I know what I'm getting. The expert has their own profile, they have their own videos. So that is something we want to get to. But right now, we're in that phase of let's just figure out what are the needs, let's Mm -hmm. build our, our sort of library of experts see how that's like let's just see what because we are starting to see patterns and things that can be um made into a more scalable model and we haven't gone out for funding a big lesson i learned with my um previous company with pips island was don't go out for funding unless you really need it um Mm -hmm. and that was very difficult so for now you know we are very passionate about mentorship we love what we're doing we are finding that schools are willing to pay mm-hmm. for the engagements, mm-hmm. which which is great for us for now. Yeah. So mm-hmm. until we reach that point where we absolutely want to build the tech piece, we're we're using this to really grow and and naturally and in a sort of wholesome way. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. That makes sense because the reality is, and I just want to make sure that we're, you know, um, really clear, full transparency. Schools do, in fact, have funds to to purchase and buy content and curriculum all the time. And this falls well within and depending on that kind of school and the space where you are, you know, it's an opportunity to use a whole variety of funds, both federal and state funds, to, to, to bring programs like this in to your school. It's very doable. So that's that's wonderful. Thank you for that. 
Go ahead. Just one more piece, the content piece. We haven't spoken much about it, the video. Mm -hmm. That's another revenue stream that we are looking to develop because okay. there is a hunger and a need for really good content. And like the curiosity streams and National Geographics, mm -hmm. we feel we've cornered a more niche, expert-led documentaries right. versus more high-level. So that's something, too, that we are very excited about. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. So what I want to I want to sort of end the, the conversation. You made a reference to, you know, the potential for, you know, VR experiences and things like that. So my, my big question is, what's next? for for mentorship what are you working on right now as part of this you know bigger ecosystem that just gets you both jazz what are you excited about for me i think the future is embracing the technology and and re you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation at least how our children are interested in receiving information and learning through different channels that mm -hmm. will be and I think in prior years, that sparked fear in most parents. Mm -hmm. But I think at this point, all of us recognize that they are digital natives and the, their comfort zone for existing in this world um, is not the same as ours. And it can be an opportunity to really reach kids at their level where they want to be in those mm -hmm. where they want to be. So, you know, definitely looking into virtual reality experiences for the kids ways that would bring them places that they cannot be physically mm -hmm. and, you know um even thinking the buzzword of the moment thinking about metaverse mm -hmm. and where can where can these students interact with these experts in in a virtual world mm -hmm. absolutely rania what about for you yeah i think absolutely exactly what Pelika said and we are actively looking at how do we take the content, take our experts into a metaverse-like environment. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at one project, it's called the Metropolis Project that I'm involved with, where we would bring the mentorship world or building to that metropolis and offer a way for people to access and a sort of decentralized mm -hmm. access mm -hmm. to knowledge. And that's something we're excited. So really looking at trends and looking how we can take a very old world concept, apprenticeship to mm -hmm. a, a very new, you know, 21st century technological ecosystem. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all about being able to modify that application, right, at the end of the day. So absolutely. Yeah. That's so wonderful. I want to thank both of you ladies for making time today to have this conversation with us. But most importantly, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing because it's really exciting. It's super cool, you know, from a variety of different perspectives. And I think that if we could just get more of our schools and communities to say, we're not going back, we're going forward. And that going forward is all about the way we engage with students and the way that we ensure that the content that we believe they so desperately need to move forward is not just of the highest quality, but it's engaging enough to keep the kids coming back. So thank you both thank for what you, you do. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Continuing the conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.